Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. You're listening to the Tamar Yana Show here at Israel News Talk Radio. And we are live if you're listening between 4 to 5 p.m. right here in Israel. Or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, that means that we are live and you can call into the show with any comments or questions that you might have on the topics that we're talking about. Today, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Manachem will not be joining us. Uh, He has other things that he's doing today, but I'm going to be having on two different guests, and they're going to be talking about uh, the war and uh, their uh, specific populations and the Ramadan that's going to be coming up here in Israel, what that means. And uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting show. And I can't wait to have our first guest on. His name is Shadi Halul. He is an Israeli citizen. He's not Jewish, rather a Christian Aramean. And he runs a preliminary program for Aramean youth to prepare them for joining the Israeli army or the Israel Defense Forces. He is the founder and director of the ICAA, the Israeli Christian Aramaic Association. It's a nonprofit organization represented by Aramean Israeli citizens, both young and old. Now, my guest, Shadi Halul, is also, get this, an officer in the IDF reserves serving in the paratroopers unit. You can check out his website at www.aramaic-center.com. I want to welcome to the show Shadi Halul. Hi, Tamar. How are you? I am doing well, uh, as can be in this time of uh, tension in Israel, but we will we will um, persevere. I want to ask you, as uh, someone who is living more amongst the Arab sector, even though you are a Christian Arab, you are actually Ara- Aramean, as you say, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with, with this war and your community's experience. Well, I live uh, very close to the Israeli-Lebanese border. And our community is, as a Maronite Christian Aramaic community, is uh, uh, here since like a long, long time ago. They speak the Aramaic language and they share also a, a common roots with the Jewish people as the Jews spoke also Aramaic in this region before. And we still preserve that language. And in this war, as Israeli citizens, as a minority living among Arabs uh, in different uh, Arab Galilean towns, uh, we are actually had the same, I call it, uh, fears that... uh, the Jewish people and the Jewish brothers and sisters in the land uh, had before in October 7. Because the threat from the north where we live, uh, from Hezbollah and from Iranian proxies uh, that might uh, invade from Lebanon or from Syria, was so great that many people felt the that their faith actually is uncertain and their existence actually might be 
affected in this region. And many of them felt that seeing October 7th, this makes them feel they want to contribute more to the state and be part of the state and defend the state because they know that if Israel and the Jews will be weakened, this means they will not exist too. Because those jihadi Islamists that, God forbid, uh, would uh, invade Israel, they will not actually uh, have mercy on them too. So we, as Christian and Jews here, has the same fears. And even I can tell you that even Arabs, which are Muslims, let's say this way, in Israel, they had also this fear. And some of them actually also felt that what happened in October 7th and from the north of Israel by Hezbollah attacking the communities on October 8th is also affecting them. And this might also... Uh, hurt their existence here. So many of them felt at least want to do something also for the state. And they kept quiet at least. And by keeping calm and quiet, this helped us as a state, as forces, security forces, to focus on the main threat, which is Hamas and Hezbollah and the foreign threats and not internal clashes. That was very beneficial and very helpful. And that's what I felt during October 7th and so on until today. So you're saying that if Hezbollah were to invade Israel and arrive in your community, the Arabs or your community there feel that they too would be victims just like those that were attacked and uh murdered on October 7th? Yeah, I mean, we would have the same destiny. We would have the same faith. I mean, it's not, you know, they will not uh, uh, like say, oh, these are Christians or these are uh, uh, Druze and oh, we cannot hurt them. We will not hurt them. They will hurt anyone that is Israeli. And we saw that even in October 7th attack in the South. They attack Bedouins that they were actually close to them and they just killed them. They killed women, a Bedouin woman. They killed a men that were Bedouins in the south. So why Hezbollah as a Shia, a Islamic radical group would actually say, oh, we, we will not now hurt those Christians or those a Sunni Muslims in the Galilee. They would do the same if they could because they don't care about anything else. And they said it once. We're not going to like choose where to hit the missile. We will hit just missiles and, and fire them to Israel. And I don't care what Nasrallah said if Arab or Jew will be killed because we cannot uh, guarantee that those missiles will not fall in a mixed town when he was asked about that issue. So uh, for us, the threat is similar. But let me say it this way. 
in some Muslim communities, they have a privilege. The privilege is that if they they can choose if to join jihadi forces, while in other side, in our side, as a Christian and Jews in the land, we don't have this privilege of choosing to go with the enemies, because the enemies for we for them are infidels, and we don't have the same privilege that the Muslims have, and that's the difference. Shadi, while you were speaking, we had a caller call in, and we seem to be having a problem with the phones. Uh, they wanted to know. We know Israel knows that there are tunnels from uh, in the north as well from the Hezbollah into Israel. And she wants to know, basically, uh, you know, if your community is worried about that and what you would do in order to protect Israel. Okay, so uh, as as a community that close by to the Lebanese-Israeli border tunnels, we were, like we found, the IDF found six tunnels, and we we expect that there are more tunnels in the region that were not actually found yet by IDF. There are some rumors in our area that they, the IDF lately found a tunnel close by in the valley. And I don't know, I cannot like say this is true or not. It's only rumors by people. But people fear from those tunnels and fear from invasion and incursion of Hezbollah from the north since they have a unit called Radwan, elite force. Hezbollah has about 80,000 forces, troops, and among them they have 5,000 elite unit, which called Radwan, that is well-trained and well-experienced in a 10 years civil war in Syria, they were fighting with Assad side by side, butchered Sunni Muslims and killed them, include Palestinians that they claim today they are protecting and standing in solidarity with them in the South. So we know that this is only excuse because Hezbollah is a proxy of Iran, and they have one goal and one aim, is to annihilate the Jewish state and the people of Israel and throw them to the ocean or to the sea. They don't want the Jewish state to exist, and they will do everything possible that they could to actually destroy this Jewish state. And we, as Christian citizens, we ask the government, and I work with uh, on this issue, to open for us a, a security unit supported by the police and IDF, so we can have a weapon for defending our town and helping the security forces in case there are a terrorist incursion in this region. And we happily, I can say, got the permit and a unit already is 
operating in our town. Shadi, we only have a few more minutes, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, as a military man, you're an, uh, an IDF officer in the paratrooper unit, and uh, if you were the Prime Minister of Israel and uh, you had this on your plate that you need to destroy the Hamas, yet they have hostages of ours, how would you handle the whole situation? I don't want to put myself on on the Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, position since I know how hard it is to be a Prime Minister uh, in Israel. But I would say with terrorists, you ha- they understand, and specifically those Islamic jihadi terrorists, they understand only one language, which is the language of power. They respect power, they respect force, and if you're weak, they will actually kill you and annihilate you. And if you're strong, they will respect you, and they will actually make deals with you. So what I would do is continue in Rafa to take over Rafa, block the tunnels from the Egyptian side, and then I am sure they will run to make a deal with Israel. If we don't do that, they will have the option to still go ahead and play with us those games as we see it today. So I, I just want to jump in here and say that many people agree with that. I would be in that school as well. Strength is what they respect and what they'll respond to. However, the government of Israel, unfortunately, is very worried about the international uh, opinion and what they're going to say and what they might, you know, we've, we've already taken to the Hague. And, and uh, so what would you, how would you balance that off against international opinion? The international opinion should be very supportive of Israel going to Rafah. Israel should convince them that doing so will shorten the suffer of the Palestinians on the other side. Because once we take Rafah, the game is over and then calm will return to the region because we can actually achieve the goals of the war and of the rescue of the hostages. So if they want to have peace and have the people in Gaza enjoy their life too, we should first of all get to Rafa, finish this work very fast with their help and that of their interest actually to help us doing so, so we can end this war and actually free our hostages. Okay. That's, uh, that's what we need to convince them. There's no other way to go around. Hamas will not release the hostages just because we have a blue eyes or blonde hair or whatever it is. They will release the hostages only if they know there's nowhere for them to go and to run away anymore. And the borders are in our hands. Rafah is in our hands. The tunnels is, uh, are in our hands. And then we are surrounding them from all sides.
All right. So you're saying to convince the international community, but it would be my uh, uh, opinion that it is the international community that does not want Israel to win this war, that wants the ceasefire in order to let Hamas regroup and uh, get ready again for another attack, not to see them go. It seems to me you'd be talking to, uh, what's the expression, a, a dead horse or a dead dog? or Okay, but at least we need to try. At least we need to try. And if, the, if with a deadline, and if it doesn't happen, then we need to go there. And as soon as possible, not waiting too long. So you're saying that Israel, uh, in spite of what the international community is going to think or say, or even threaten Israel, that Israel just needs to go in and it needs to put in more force in order to bring the Hamas terrorists to their knees and have that and, and win the war. And then we can free the hostages rather than free the hostages and then worry about the war. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Because there's a big debate in Israel right now about what is the number one goal of this war. Is it A, to uh, collapse and destroy the Hamas, or is it B, to free the hostages? And the media and the left wing is pushing the hostages are the most important thing. And anybody who doesn't agree with that, they make them out to be someone who doesn't care about the hostages. What would you Hamas say about that? Hamas not release the hostages without us taking Rafah. Hamas can release part of the hostages. And if those people who oppose taking out Rafah because we might risk the hostages, this is actually not relevant. The hostages already are in danger. The hostages will not be released by Hamas. They are playing games with us because they have other options. Once we take Rafah, and we could take it a long time ago already, and we would be behind this war, I urge the Israeli government to take Rafah and just ignore now the international community because the international community either way always will actually condemn Israel with whatever Israel does. They don't care about Israel and Jewish life doesn't matter them like the Palestinian lives matter them. That's what I see at least from my side. I see that when Arab or Palestinian terrorists die, they make them citizens. While when Jews die, nobody cares. And we see demonstrations in the streets of the world, in different capitals of this world, Western world, for Palestinians, while I didn't see those hypocrite demonstrators that are pushed by Islamists, a brotherhood movement around the world demonstrating for justice for uh, the Christians who were slaughtered in Africa and Nigeria lately and in the Middle East a few years ago by the same people who are siding with them. So please, let's put it clear. Israel should do whatever need to protect itself and bring the hostages home. And diplomacy, if it doesn't work, 
it should have a deadline. A deadline that if it doesn't meet, if no, if that doesn't meet, then go immediately and take Rafah. I know that we might also risk our peace agreement with Egypt. Egypt, I don't know why, is giving some troubles to Israel in this also issue of taking Rafah. And on the other hand, they don't want to allow Palestinians or those Arabs in Gaza to go and have refuge in Egypt. So if you don't want them to have refuge in Egypt, let me take the borders between you and Rafah and let me finish this war as, push, as, uh, as fast as possible and rescue my hostages. That's how I see things. Right. I think that you have uh, a better understanding than many in the government here. <laughs> and I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing uh, the view of a non-Jewish Israeli who has an understanding of the Arab mentality better than many of those in our government. Thank you so much for well, coming on. That's Middle East. Middle East is different. <laughs> that's how it works in the Middle East. If you're strong, they respect you. If you're weak, they don't respect you. And they keep pushing you out of here. This is very, very We saw true. what they did for the Christians and the Maronites in Lebanon. Once they gave up their weapon, they now are actually persecuting them in Lebanon and oppressing them in Lebanon. And it was the country that they founded for their own existence. And now Hezbollah is controlling it and oppressing them and many of them migrating from the land. Do the Jews want this to happen for them. Shadi Khalil. I'm sure not. Yes. <laughs> I want to thank you very much. Uh, people can go to your website at www.aramaic-center.com. You can also write me tomorrow at israelnewstalkradio.com and I can forward any letters to Shadi. Thank, thank you, you so much for being with us. I invite them to come visit us here in the north and I will explain more and brief them more about the security issues and our community and our beautiful life in Israel. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shadi. Thank Be well. You. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, very good. Anybody, again, if you have any comments or questions about that, you can email me tomorrow at israelnewstalkradio.com and I will send uh, everything to Shadi. All right. Uh, we have our next guest on and I would uh, like to introduce him. His name is, <laughs> his name is uh, Timur David Acklin. And he is a former Arab Muslim man who has since converted to Judaism. Timor is trilingual. He speaks fluent English, Hebrew, and Arabic, like our last guest. His maternal grandparents are from Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Yemen. Timor uh, has uh, paternal grandparents from Turkey, Jordan, and Syria, and they are all devoted Sunni Muslims. Timor runs the nonprofit organization HIPS, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, where he advocates for Jewish rights in Israel using his unique leverage as a born Muslim. He strongly opposes Islam and has criticized its founders harshly. And you can visit his website at www.hipships.co.i. 
L. And I asked Timor to join me on the show today to talk to us about the upcoming Ramadan holiday and the expected danger that that can bring to ignite even more violence in Israel. Unfortunately, it's common that on the Ramadan holiday, violence erupts on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and other places as well. And Israeli security forces are often uh, forced to only give access to older Muslims who are, let's say, over 50 years old or so on the Temple Mount during the Ramadan, this in order to greatly reduce the chance of a dangerous situation happening on the Temple Mount, because there's often rioting there during Ramadan, and this could spark violence in Muslim communities around the world as well. So I want to welcome to the show, to, to, to the show Timor David, or David Acklin. Shalom. Shalom. Thank hey. you for having me, Tamar. It's good to, see, to hear you again. Good to have you on. Uh, so you are a former Muslim, and I want you just to give a very brief, you know, couple of sentences of what the Ramadan holiday is for Islam and why it just turns out that they use this opportunity during Ramadan to riot, to, to uh, make violence, and that Israel every year has to brace uh, itself in order to try to prevent this uh, violence from happening every single year. It's mm. an interesting question. Now, in Islam, there are four sacred months, and Ramadan is actually now one of them. It's still quite holy. It's a blessed month. Uh, you pray, uh, you fast, you abstain from many things. Very, this is basically Yom Kippur of of the Jews uh, turned into uh, 29 or 30 days. Because uh, every year it's, it's different. They don't know if it's 29 or 30 or 30. Now, in terms of uh, us having to do so much and i'm saying that as person who person as a person who personally had to go through this because i ascended the temple mount two years ago so less than uh, it was just a few weeks before october 7th i was actually um contacted by the shabak i was interviewed by them and they wanted to uh the shabak is like me. israel's fbi go ahead yeah they they didn't want me to go near the temple mount uh, because I tried to go and pray uh, not too long before October 7th. I think it was just a few weeks. And they uh, stopped me, and then they contacted me after a while. And then uh, they just explained to me uh, how it's very provocative uh, for the Arabs. Um, not just me personally, you know, me as a Jew, also my story. But in general, they just don't want any Jewish pre presence there. Now, during Ramadan, uh, even though it's a blessed month, a holy month, uh, fighting is allowed. Um, where are, in the other sacred months, you're not allowed to fight. And in Ramadan, it's actually, um, it's, it's an honorable thing to fight injustice, so-called injustice, okay? Now, the Palestinian narrative, without... Uh, without lies, it just dies. And they have to brainwash these people and get them to go out and do these things. Now, it's very easy for them to be vocal when they do it because nobody checks them during Ramadan. So uh, throughout the year, we can limit uh, who goes up there so that way we can control 
the violence so it doesn't get out of hand. Because the more people you're going to have on the Temple Mount, the easier uh, it becomes for them to go. And, you know, they, they just they get this confidence that they can go do whatever they want and not get caught because hundreds of thousands ascend the Temple, uh, the Temple Mount, and they pray. And, you know, the Aqsa and Al-Haram Sharif, et cetera, et cetera. So you're saying that they look at the Ramadan holiday as an extra opportunity to attack the Jewish people yeah. uh, because it's holiday. But they do this every day, year-round. Yeah, yeah, they do that every day, but they can't do that at the same uh you know, it's not as intense. You know, when you have hundreds of thousands of people there, they can raise Hamas flags. They can wave Palestinian flags. They can chant, you know, uh, your sword against my sword. We are Muhammad Def's guys, uh, things like that. Or they can say, rin, 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 I mean, meaning like make the sirens ring, make the sirens ring when they chant these things. I, th- I feel like if you did not have all these people there, you know, the police could just go and stop them when there's so few. But when you have so many people, first, the police can't do anything because they would, they don't want, you know, they, we don't want our clips out there of us trying to go and stop the bad guys because then it's just going to turn into what it usually turns into, fireworks and violence and rocks and just not a good sight Inter- internationally as well. So do you expect there to be violence in a, in another week when Ramadan starts? It's very possible. I think, yeah, most likely, yes. Do you think because it's going to be worse now because uh, so many people are already marching around the world against Israel and for the Hamas? I think so. Do you think it could be the start of World War III? A lot of people say that it's going to start because of, you know, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the powder keg. I think if we get through the month, then it will slow down after the month. I don't think it's the beginning of World War III. Uh, in the beginning of this war, I thought it's going to be because, you know, in the very be- it was so different back then. We were shocked, you know, we got slapped. It was like a literal slap, October 7th. And the way uh, the North were attacking every single day, Lebanon and here and the terror attacks at the same time. And I remember I was in Yitzhar, uh just two days after October 7th. Uh, I went to uh, visit a friend. He had a Brit Milah uh, for his son. A bris. And bris Milah, yes. And... Uh, a bunch of Arabs got on a jeep and they tried to go up to Yitzhar. And that was a scary moment for me because I was seeing everyone now, everyone in Yitzhar, they're doing Miluin, you know, they're... Um, reserve duty. Yes, they're in reserve duty. And everyone's armed. So I'm seeing everyone leave their house running with their guns. And the Arabs changed their mind when they saw like a mass amount of people just running with their guns at them and they just turn around and took off. So uh, in the beginning, it was very scary. And I, I really thought it was going to be World War Three. Uh, I thought Iran would attack. I thought, you know, all of that. But no, right now, I'm not. I don't think so. I want to ask you what I asked my last guest. And that is that if you were heading this war, and, and it was your responsibility, you're the prime minister of Israel, you have to protect Israel, and you have to uh, get the hostages out if you can, etc. What would, you know, there's a big debate in Israel now, a big debate. What is the first goal of this war? Is it to free the hostages or is it to win the war and uh, take out the Hamas for good? 
And a lot of the media is pushing the the line that if you're not for, if your number one goal isn't to free the hostages, then you you don't care about them. Uh, and other people, the other side is saying, look, of course we want to free the hostages, but in order to do that, we need to defeat the Hamas. If we go for a ceasefire, it's just going to strengthen the Hamas. We won't get all of the hostages hostages back in a ceasefire because that's their strength. They're not going to give everyone up. And, uh, and then we're going to be back in square one again. So what would your position be on how to fight this war? Well, first of all, I think from the very beginning, I would have responded differently. I think my response would have been uh, disproportionate. Um, I think they would have turned on each other during the very first week. Uh, They would receive nothing. They would receive no aid, no gas, no water, nothing. I wouldn't give them anything. You know, trust me, within two weeks, you would have all of of your hostages back. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, now I still believe that we should still do whatever it takes to bring them back. I do think this is the number one priority. We we have to get them back. It's our moral duty to bring them back. But I don't believe in a ceasefire. Uh, that shouldn't come at the price of a ceasefire. There's no ceasefire. It doesn't. It makes no sense. There's just no reason to ceasefire. Why? So we could have another event like this in the future. Like, what's that going to do? What's that going to bring? So you're. Ba- I just want to make it clear to our listeners that so you're saying that if Israel were to go to another ceasefire with the goal of trying to free more hostages, uh, that it is just going to bring us back to square one, that it is something that we cannot afford to do. That's what you're saying? Yeah, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. That's what you're saying. We cannot. Okay. Cannot. Okay. Yeah, we right. cannot do that. So you're saying basically no number problem. one is to crush the Hamas and then hopefully we will uh, be able to free the, uh, the hostages that are still there. Well, I just I just feel like it's a very common misconception. Uh, it's not just with the Hamas. You know, the Gazans are the Gazans. They support Hamas. Yes, we are seeing them now in this uh, hunger fever, right? We're seeing these clips and we're seeing them calling for a ceasefire. And call- These were the same people that were celebrating on October 7th. These were the people who were chanting on the streets and handing over the sweets. These are not, you know, these are not all of a sudden all angelic and holistic and these are the same people that were there. These are the same people who would try. To- they came here. They worked here. They collected intel. They did all these things. They there's I don't, I don't understand like how can they still be there i would have you know from the very beginning now it's it seems like it, it's all very late where we are like almost five months into the war and not so much has been done to uh, encourage them to leave uh, unfortunately and the gazans leave. to leave gaza yes mm-hmm. the gazans to leave gaza yeah I thought there would be a mass exodus. I thought from the very beginning I would have seen like hundreds of thousands in the messages running. But not, well, Egypt happen. won't let them leave. Um, Egypt will, will not open up their border to yeah, help. We should the, have done something about that from the very beginning. Yeah. I feel. Okay, we have like another two minutes. And so uh, I just want to go over just to make clear again for our listeners. So for the Ramadan, you would support the Israeli government in its uh, desire to try to prevent uh, an, an, an explosive uh, event in the, in the Temple Mount, meaning that, you know, rioting that could spread around the world, that it would be good for Israel to prevent younger people from going to the Temple Mount? 
to worship and leaving it maybe for 50 years old or 60 years old and older? For sure. I think that would be a very fair restriction. You know, like 45, 50 and up. Uh, most of these people that are 45, 50, they usually have many kids and they're not going to go up there and chant and do all these things. It's mostly the 20-something-year-olds that go out there and they come with all, you know, the, this charismatic, uh, hateful um, voice and they chant all these nasty slogans up there. It's supposed to be a holy place, but they just, they, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't think they know what holy means. So you're saying that they're taking a holy place and they're using it as a platform in order to attack Israel. Yes? Is that what yeah. you're saying? That's that's their artificial, um, what's it called? Respiratory machine? Uh, the, uh, uh, like life, uh, uh, no. life support. Yeah, life support, right. Like life support, yeah. That's their artificial life support, the Temple Mount. Whenever they run out of stuff, they try to, you know, to evoke emotions out of... Uh, uh, Muslims around the world by getting them to cry and weep for them and just put some violin in they the make up stories and, that Israel's trying to take over the Temple Mount and not let them pray they make up stories all the time uh -huh. that's what they do all the time wow okay well I I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experiences and your thoughts with our listeners again uh, Timor uh, people can visit your website at yes, uh, uh, hips, yeah. right? Hips.co.il. And I want to thank yeah. you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much, Timur. Be thank well. Thank you so much, Tamar. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, uh, there you heard it from two uh, Israeli citizens. Uh, one, a former Muslim, an Arab uh, who converted to Judaism, and another one who is an uh, Arab, Aramean, that comes from the, uh, the Syrian area, Aramea, uh, and uh, has a lot of community in the north of Israel. They are also being attacked by the Hezbollah, and they are afraid. They are uh, worried that they that if the Hezbollah does break through the border, that they are uh, they could very well be the next victims also of like the October seventh uh, massacre that took place here in Israel. There are some points I wanted to talk about with you also before we go. And uh, unfortunately, I think that our phones, there's a problem with our phones, so I don't think I'm, I'm going to be able to get uh, take phone calls today. But there are some uh, points I wanted to talk about that are going on here in Israel in the news. And one of uh, the big stories, of course, is the international community's pressure on Israel to give humanitarian aid to Gaza. And I, w I want to state here, and you can agree with me, and you can disagree with me. You have a right to your own opinion. I'm going to share mine and uh, present to you that it is ludicrous in my mind to give quote-unquote humanitarian aid to a population that supports that they are they are Hamas. The Hamasnikim say that they, uh, they they talk about how we're starving, we're starving, we're starving. That's what they say, even though they are getting food. But they say that they would rather eat sand than give in to Israel. 
This is the hatred that we're dealing with. I want everybody to understand that Israel is not fighting an army like a French army or British army or Australian army or, you you know, you you can choose whatever country you want. We're not fighting an army that's wearing a uniform. They dress up as civilians. This is a war crime. We're fighting an enemy that has said that if they could, they would do an October 8th and 9th and 10th, etc., etc., until we're gone. How is it that the international community who uh, believes that they're on some moral pedestal, that they can tell us to feed and fuel an enemy like this? I'd like to know if there's any other country ever in the world that has fed and fueled its enemy during a war. Did the Allies do it with the Nazis? Did they fuel and feed the Nazi war machine? It's crazy. And for the world to demand that we do this means that they are on Hamas's side because these people in democratic elections voted in the Hamas. They say the Hamas uh, is, are their representatives. And there's not one Gazan who's come up and said to Israel, this is where your hostages are. Where are the Gazan people who say that they're not with Hamas Where are they and why aren't they telling us where the hostages are? If the uh, international community, I don't know if you hear those jets in the air, but I hear jets in the air now. It's the Israeli Air Force, no doubt. Uh, Where uh, where do you see that? You know, let me put it this way. (laughs) I like to watch different news sources because I like to see what other people are saying. I don't get offended by different opinions. I like to be knowledgeable. I like to hear what people are saying. And I will often put on Al Jazeera and watch and see what they're saying about this war. And it's always half a million Gazans are on the verge of starvation, et cetera, et cetera, and how they're suffering so much. If this is true, where are the moral pedestal countries of the world why aren't they saying, let us open up our, our, our gates. Let us give visas to our country. Let us get these poor people out of the war zone and take them in. Why isn't Ireland, who is against Israel in this conflict, in this war of our existence, why aren't they taking them in? Why isn't South Africa, who took us to The Hague, if they're so concerned about the Gazans, why aren't they saying, we'll take them in? And those of you who think, ah, why should they, how, how, why do they have to do that? They can't do that. That's ridiculous. Let me just tell you that Poland just took in a million and a half Ukrainian refugees from the war. Germany took in 1.1 million Ukrainian refugees from the war. Romania took in almost half a million. I mean, this more than covers the whole, if you're going to believe the claim that there's 2 million Arabs in Gaza, that's already more than 2 million people. The problem would be solved. The top five countries taking in refugees from Ukraine are 
as I said, Poland with a million and a half uh, uh, Ukrainian refugees that they took in. Romania took in, as I said, half a million. Germany, 1.1 million. Slovakia has taken in. France has taken in. Hungary has taken in several thousand. There is a solution. But if they don't want to leave, and if they uh, are saying that they're peaceful and they want to stay, well, then all they have to do if they want the war to stop is just say two words. We surrender. That's all the Hamas has to do is just say, we surrender. And then give us our hostages and the war is over. We don't want to be there with our soldiers having to fight. We want to see peace. And the way to have peace there is to have Jewish settlement there. Because the Jewish people, as you see in Israel, we live peacefully with everybody here. We live, we have Arabs all over Israel. And we live peacefully with them. It's the Arabs in Gaza and the Arabs in the Palestinian Authority and other terrorist entities that don't want to have peace with Israel. Israel always has its hand out for peace. And we have peace with all of the Arabs. That is, all of the Arabs that want peace. And the only Arabs we don't have peace with, or Islamists that we don't have peace with, are those that don't want peace. And if that's the case, you can't have peace with an entity that doesn't want peace. So all the Hamas has to do is say, we surrender. Here are your hostages that we took. But we don't see that happening. And we don't see the population in Gaza that voted the Hamas in to be their representatives. We don't see them saying, here are your hostages, go get them, we surrender. We don't see them out in demonstrations against the Hamas. Now, oh, you might want to say, but Tamar, if they were to go out and march and have a protest a demonstration against the Hamas, the Hamas would shoot them and kill them. And if you are to say that, I would answer you, then why should a regime like that exist? Why would the nations of the world, the international community, want an uh, entity like that to exist where people cannot voice their democratic opinion, where people have to be afraid that they're going to be shot and killed but no, it's the opposite, and it doesn't make sense, except the only thing that can make sense that they would support terrorists to stay alive and, f- and try to force Israel into a ceasefire so, they're Ar- so the Arab Hamas can stay alive is because they hate us so much. It's because they hate the Jewish people. It is because they are anti-Jews. It is because, though they may not like terrorism and the Hamas, they hate us even more. Anyone who is moral, anyone who is moral, cannot support the Hamas, cannot support a ceasefire, and would be telling us, yes, go in and do what you have to do, but defeat these people. Defeat this entity, this evil entity. 
I want to say that a lot of people, their hearts are breaking for the poor Gazans. It is five months into the war, approximately, and we only have now, it's all over the news in Israel, that in Sterot, which is a Jewish city three kilometers from uh, Gaza, they are only now, they're making a big thing out of it. People are coming back now, and school is opening. The first day of school, after five months, that's almost half a year, of no school in Israel for our children that live there, they're saying now we're opening up the schools, and it's the first day of school, and they're having commercials and saying how wonderful it is. Let me tell you something. Number one, they are basically twisting the arms of residents to go back and live there. Because they don't, the government does not want to foot the bill of trying to give them alternative housing, uh, temporary housing. And so they're twisting their arms to go back. And these places, we still are getting red alert sirens of rocket fire coming in from Gaza into Israel, into the southern communities in Israel. People do not want to go back and risk their lives and their children's lives when we still haven't been able after five months to prevent the Hamas terrorists from firing into Israel, Israeli communities. Ra- randomly, just they want to kill as many people as possible. Man, woman, child, baby, they don't care. They just want dead Jews. And in fact, that the schools are open, they're showing these commercials of smiling teachers. Guess what? We're opening up the schools. They hired these people to do these commercials. They don't tell you that there are soldiers at these schools guarding them because there could be more attacks on Israel and on these schools, whether by rocket fire, whether by terrorist infiltration. And it's happened before in Israel's history where Arab terrorists have broken into a kindergarten and taken it over and held them hostage and murdered little children. Been there, done that. There are still tens of thousands of displaced Israelis today, five months after the war, not just from the south, but from northern communities as well, as Hezbollah also is firing their rockets and anti-tank missiles, etc., into Israeli communities, that it is not safe for civilians, Israeli civilians to live there, whether you're Arab Israeli or Jewish Israeli or Aramean Israeli, Christian Israeli, etc. So I want to say here that what we see in Gaza, don't feel sorry. If they want the war over, all they have to do is surrender and give us our hostages and it's done. But they don't want peace. We don't hear anybody in Gaza saying we want peace. We don't see one demonstration in Gaza saying we want peace. And if the world truly thinks that things are so bad for Gazans, let them take them in. Let Ireland take them in. Let South Africa take them in. Let Qatar, who has lots and lots of money, let them take them in. Let Egypt open up the gates and let the Gazans pour out into Egypt. They share the same language. They, say, they share the same religion. And they were once 
Egyptians. They were once under Egypt before 1967 when Israel liberated Gaza. And let me remind everybody also, especially if you're a Bible believer, that Gaza, which in Hebrew is Aza, the correct name is Aza, was given to the tribe of Judah by God. If you read the book of Joshua, go there and look at the borders of the tribe of Judah, and you will see that Aza or Gaza is included in there. So they are occupying Jewish land. And that's not just because we want it, but it's because the creator of the universe gave it to us, who created the world. All right. I have a bit more news, but I think it's, uh, it's been almost an hour now, and I want to let you all go and enjoy your Sundays. Again, you're listening to the Tamar Yano Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to write me, Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I cannot promise to write you back, but I can pretty much assure you that I will be able to at least open and read all of your emails that come in, God willing. And uh, they do make an impression on me. I do take them to heart. And again, it's okay if you agree. It's okay if you disagree. You're allowed to have your own opinion. That's what a free world is. As my wise mother, may her memory be for a blessing, as my wise mother always said, <sighs> if we all thought the same, we'd only need one person in the world. Thank you, everybody. Again, you've been listening to the Tamariano Show here at Israel News Talk Radio. Thank you for being with us. And uh, again, if you want to write Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Thanks for being with us. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel.